Hey, I'm Caleb Howard, and welcome to Tales from Sacred Texts. This podcast is a sarcastic and story-driven narrative of myths surrounding various belief systems and ridiculous stories from the Bible, Apocrypha, and Gnostic Gospels, as well as other sacred texts that will explore little-known facts and stories related to religion. So, a little fact about myself. I'm left-handed. Throughout history, being left-handed has gotten a very bad rap. In the Christian Bible, the left-hand side is time and time again associated with sinners and evil people. When Jesus separates the good people from the evil people in Matthew 25, for example, the evil people go to his left-hand side. Moreover, the word sinister comes from the Latin and means left. Up until very recently, children were often beaten in schools to prevent them from using their left hand, because humans just have to have some sort of pecking order where they beat down on others for no reason. But the Bible does have a left-handed hero. The message behind him, while culturally dated, is still very inspiring. The greatest outcasts from society can still be heroes. Today's story is the story of Ehud, and you'll find out that if your mortal enemy is bringing you a message from their god, it might not be the one you like. So, without further ado, let's get into the story. It was about that time again. Ehud was not happy. His job was to collect the hard-earned money of his neighbors and take it to a fat king with an even fatter-sounding name, Eglon. Eglon had conquered the Hebrews 18 years ago, and things had been downhill ever since. The enemy's soldiers oppressed them, took their best land away, and made them pay a huge tax every year. Ehud's job was to collect the taxes and then take them to the conquering king. It was a humiliating job, and he was sick of it. For the past 18 years, he had to look into the eyes of this Jabba the Hutt type character and grovel before him. Eglon would abuse Ehud, make fun of his god, and boast about his superiority over the Hebrews. So it had been for the past 18 years. Ehud was doubly excluded from society. First, he was viewed negatively for being left-handed. Some people think that the Bible doesn't suggest mere left-handedness, but a disability in his right hand. That was a particularly hard thing to live with in biblical society. Maybe that caused him to be viewed as expendable, and that's why he was selected to bring money to the fat king. Second, he was the one who collected tribute to send to this king. He was disliked and unpopular. And Ehud hated the fat king. More than anyone, he saw the king's pompous, gloating face every single year. He was fed up, and he wanted revenge. Ehud had begun by fashioning a dagger. A left-handed dagger, double-edged and to be worn on his right side. He knew this plan was risky, and he would almost certainly die, but someone had to try, right? He had thought some of the more able-bodied men would do it, but like most people, they weren't going to risk their lives to fight oppression. They could deal with the inconvenience and hope the soldiers didn't come for them and their families. They couldn't deal with losing their lives. That is often how cowardice manifests itself. If a problem isn't directly affecting a person, they just hope it never comes to them. They only look out for themselves and their own families. But then there comes a hero who is willing to sacrifice himself or herself, and only then do the people have hope. 
The ones who win become the stuff of legend. The ones who lose are all but forgotten, but often they were the ones who first stirred up hope when all hope was lost. Ehud almost didn't have the nerve to do it. He told the men who had carried the chest full of money to go, and he himself turned to walk out of the throne room. But then he saw the stone idols that Eglon had set up, set up to insult God. If Yahweh was that powerful, why did he not save Israel? That was the sentiment those idols conveyed. Ehud turned around, face set with determination. When he finally spoke, it was slow and deliberate. He bowed before Eglon, saying he had a secret message for the king. How secret? The king asked. He didn't get this often. It was quite exciting. Pretty secret, Ehud nodded. You'd better send the guards out. You won't want them to hear. The guards walked out, closing the door behind them. And may I interject here, I really don't know how they fell for this. Ehud said again, I have a message from God for you, O king. The king was thrilled. He stood up in his chair, a rare thing probably for someone as fat as him, leaning forward. In one swift motion, Ehud drew the dagger and plunged it into the king's belly, all 18 inches of it. Not only did the blade go in, but the hilt did as well. Ehud wasn't able to pull the dagger back out. As the king lay there, Ehud knew it was a death sentence. Medicine was nowhere near as advanced as it is now, and there was no way Eglon was going to recover. Ehud locked the doors, jumped out a window, and escaped. The servants waited a long time, but the king wasn't coming back out. They assumed at first that he was using the bathroom, but as time passed, they became more and more unsure. Finally, embarrassed, they took the key and opened the lock, where they found their king, lying dead. Meanwhile, Ehud had returned to his hometown and let people know what he had done. At first, he was met with skepticism. You really killed the fat king? But the blood on his hands, the earnestness of his voice, and the fact that he had always been an honest man proved it. They took heart and grabbed their weapons. Ehud blew the trumpet of war, and men lined up to follow him. They seized the Jordan River crossings and killed the enemy soldiers fleeing back to their homeland. They defeated the occupying army so soundly that no one dared to attack Israel again. For the next 80 years, Israel was at peace. The Bible has always emphasized the power of one person. There are stories of one person starting a movement time and time again, either for evil or for good. Ehud, an outcast of society, was brave enough to fight back, and he started the chain of events that saved all his people. So many other people could have tried to take this king down. They had 18 years, but it took one guy, an outcast, to finally decide enough was enough. God doesn't look for people with exceptional skill. He looks for people with the will to do something. Since we have time, we're going to do one more story about one person throwing off the yoke of oppressors against overwhelming odds, but that will be right after this. Why did you do that? Literally, why? King Saul berated his son. Jonathan shrugged. There were enemies setting up a fort inside their own borders, 
Of course he was going to attack them. And he defeated them. They were running home like cowards. They were the Philistines. These guys loved war, and there were a ton of them. They would be back with a huge army. So what? Jonathan had heard the stories of how Yahweh intervened. I mean, there was an actual prophet who had brought thunder, rain, and hail down on a massive army of the Philistines during his own lifetime. So he believed the old stories, did he? Saul was not having any of this. He was furious at his son for stirring up the enemies against them. Listen, we don't even have weapons, okay? You and I are literally the only people with swords or spears. We're fighting with farm equipment. Whose fault is that? Jonathan shot back. They told us we couldn't have a blacksmith, and we actually listened to them. Our mortal enemies told us we couldn't make weapons to fight them, and we were like, yeah, sure, treat us however you want. Jonathan's optimism wasn't shared by the common soldiers. The army was melting away, day after day after day. They went to hide in caves, thickets, and pits, anywhere where the Philistines might not find them. Pretty soon, they were down to less than 600 men, and they were literally shaking in their boots. A few miles away, the Philistines were amassing a huge army, around 30,000 scythe chariots. We talked about these in an earlier episode, but basically vehicles with knives extending out of the sides. Horses would drive these into battle and literally trample and cut the enemy soldiers to death. In addition, the Philistines had around 6,000 horsemen and a huge number of foot soldiers. The Philistines sent flying detachments in three groups to ransack the country and destroy what they could. Meanwhile, the 600 remaining Hebrew soldiers sat and waited in terror. All except Jonathan. Early one morning, he told his armor-bearer, a boy too young to fight but sort of an assistant in battle, that he was going to fight the Philistines. Yahweh didn't really need humans to win a battle, did he? Maybe he would step in and help them win the battle. Jonathan knew very well that Yahweh could deliver his people, either by many people or by just a few. His armor-bearer was totally on board. The armor-bearer trusted Yahweh as well, and he was willing to risk his life in an attempt to deliver his people. Jonathan and the boy entered a narrow pass that was the only way to the Philistines' camp. The pass was very narrow, and sentries stood high above them on the rocks, watching their passage through the narrow pass. They shouted to the Philistines that two Hebrews were approaching their camp. The Philistines gathered and started to jeer. Look, one shouted, the Hebrews came out of the holes where they hid themselves. The others laughed. The narrow pass had almost come to an end, and there was a steep uphill climb before they would reach the Philistine army. Jonathan and the boy stopped and prayed. If the Philistines told them to wait here, they'd know God wasn't with them and they were going to die. But if the Philistines told them to come up to the top of the cliff, they knew God was with them and they would win the victory. The Philistines laughed at them. Come up to us and we will show you a thing. They boasted. We'll make an example out of you. Jonathan and his armor bearer started climbing. The Philistines were surprised. Did these two Hebrews have a death wish? They were so shocked that they almost forgot to fight back. As Jonathan and the boy made it to the top of the cliff, Jonathan began knocking the enemy soldiers down, and his armor bearer followed him and killed them. Within a few minutes, they had already killed 20 men. 
ground began to shake and the Philistines began to run in terror. They began to fight each other and there was mass confusion. Jonathan and his armor bearer continued to fight. As the Hebrews who had hidden heard the news, they began to reemerge and join the battle. Even the Hebrews who had defected to the Philistines or had fled into the mountains came back to fight the Philistines and drive them out of Israel. Sadly, the story doesn't have the happiest ending. Saul, who refused to listen to God, threw his troops into the battle, ordering them not to eat until it was finished. Famished with hunger, when they were finally allowed to eat, the people began to eat the meat raw, breaking Jewish ceremonial law. Because of Saul's continued disobedience to God's commands and his tyranny over the Hebrew people in preventing them from eating, God refused to speak with him through the priests and give him advice on how the battle should continue. Saul, never one to blame himself, was sure that it was something else that was keeping God from communicating with the priests. When he found out that Jonathan had eaten a little honey off the end of his stick, Jonathan not having heard Saul's orders because he had been away fighting the Philistines already, Saul was prepared to kill Jonathan on the spot. Fortunately, the people refused to allow this to happen and protected Jonathan, who was spared to meet and become close friends with David very soon after. We'll cover Saul more later. The focus of this story is Jonathan. It's another story where all it took was the courage of one man to stand up. That is how life often works. Evil holds power as long as every good person is afraid to stand up. It is our duty to fight to keep evil at bay or it will take hold. The good is more powerful than the evil, but evil is so much easier. But we don't need to recruit some sort of group or mob of people before we can make an impact. All it takes is one person. That's it for today. Next time, we'll be doing the story of Judith, a Hebrew woman who tricked an enemy army, leading them to their doom. Thanks again for listening. Please remember to subscribe and leave a review, and if you really liked it, tell your friends. Script writing and theme music is by myself, Caleb Howard, and transition music is by Anchor Podcasts. Have a great weekend, everyone, and stay safe.